Anybody know what the number one movie in America is right now? The Lego movie, right? How many of you have seen the Lego movie? Well, that's about eight more than the first service. That's good. We saw the Lego movie the day it came out. My son, Eli, and Luke, are both of my sons are really big into Legos, and we saw it the day it came out. We saw it uh, at like 3 o'clock the day it came out, 3.30. It was Eli's birthday party to go see the Lego movie. And I just, in fact, as I was standing out there uh, getting ready to come in, a, a notice came across my phone that it is the number one movie two weekends in a row and has made $150 million. That's a lot of money. For a movie that was expected to make about $30 million, it's blown past expectations. So here's the question. How many of you, when you were little or now or whatever, are Lego people? All right? Now, when I was growing up, Legos just weren't that cool. Now, I don't mean you weren't cool if you played with them. But when I was growing up, Legos were like blocks. And you took them and you built like a tower with them. And then you moved on and built a, another tower with them. And then... Maybe if you got really, you would build a big tower. That's all you did with them. But now they've got all these licensing deals. And so now you get them and you build the Millennium Falcon. And you build Helm's Deep from Lord of the Rings. And you build the Disney princesses. Did y'all know the Disney princesses are now Legos? They make Legos for those, right? So you get all this cool stuff. And uh, when Eli first really got into Legos... He was about five or six years old, and he would get these sets, and we would bring them home, and we would start to build with them, because that's what you do. And, and here was kind of our deal with, with Eli. I wanted him to be able to do it, and so I, I didn't build it for him, but I was kind of like his assistant. And so he would get the book out, and you know, if, if you've done any recently, they, they've got these huge instruction booklets, and you start step-by-step step going through it, and I was kind of the assistant that would separate all the little pieces and the colors, you know, like they suggest on the front page. I'm not going to ask him if you do that. I mean, but somebody just put it in a pile and you go look it, but you separate them out. I'd give him the piece, let him put it together. And inevitably, because Eli liked to think that the age guidelines did not apply to him. You, you know, like on Legos, they have age eight to 14. Well, he said, I'm five. That's close to eight. I can do this. And so inevitably, we would get to a part where Eli would get stuck. And he would say, Dad, it doesn't work like the book says it's supposed to work. And I said, well, did you do everything? I've done everything. I've done everything exactly like it said. But look, here, I want you to look at it. Do you want me to fix it? Yes, I want you to fix it. I want you to look at it. And so I would get it, and I would pull it aside, and I would look at it, and I would realize that he had made a mistake about five pages earlier. And you know what I had to do? You had to start taking it apart. Now, you can imagine what happened when I start taking apart the handiwork of a five-year-old. Gnashing of teeth, screaming, Dad, what are you doing? I've got to take it apart. You don't have to take it. I didn't. You did. There is a step you missed. And if you miss that step, we're not going to be able to go any further. But Dad, you know, I have to take it apart. If we want this to be what it's supposed to be, I have to take it apart and go back here and start again. That's not a big deal when it's a Lego. But sometimes that's what God has to do with us. He has to tear us down in order to build us back up again. And sometimes it comes at those moments when we think 
I'm ready to start living for the Lord. I'm ready to start doing what He asks. I'm ready to start building my life the way He wants me to build. And we jump in and we jump into coming to church or reading scripture or getting in a small group and really studying. Or we start really investing our life in the things of God. And instead of everything getting better and instead of everything being good and instead of everything going great, it starts getting worse and it starts falling apart and the wheels start coming off. And we think, what in the world is happening? Why is this happening, God? I'm doing what you ask. I'm back in church. I'm starting again. I've accepted your gift of salvation. I'm starting to walk for you. And instead of getting better, it's getting harder. I've got friendships that are deteriorating. I have things that I thought were going to be okay that suddenly are messing up. I'm seeing parts of my life disassembled and I don't like it. You know, when we would get to the end of that, building project with Eli, whatever we were building, the ship or the car or the platform or the house, he didn't really remember that starting over moment. He was just excited about the conclusion. The problem is, in the midst of it, he was very concerned about the starting over moment. And most of us, when we're in that moment of God tearing us down, we do not appreciate or like it or understand it. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Hosea chapter 3. I mean, sometimes it feels like that God is opening a wound in order to clean it out to make us healthier. In our relationships, or our finances, and our families, and our work, and our attitude. It's like God begins to tear down some things in order to build us back up. And the problem is, it's not a short-term fix. It may take months. It may take weeks. It may take years. And we live in a microwave culture that wants it done now. And God has the long-term in mind. Here's what I want you to understand. This is kind of the point of the whole thing we're talking about today. Is that God's loyal love will hold us together even when it seems like the rest of our world is falling apart. Hosea chapter 3. We're in the middle of this series um, that we've been talking about called Pursued. And we've actually, I've, I've asked you to come on a journey with us. And some of you have done that online with uh, a kind of devotional that comes out a couple of times a week. I've asked you to be here each week of the series. And if you miss a week to try and catch up online, and there's a place you can do that online just at our website, fbcgillitsville.com slash pursued. We've been walking through this story of Hosea and this amazing story of God's prophet whom God asked to do something he has never asked anyone before or since. And to be honest, if there was anybody who thought that the pieces of his life were not coming together, it was Hosea. Remember, God calls him and tells him to marry a prostitute. And tells him on the front end that she's going to continue in her life that way. In fact, you're going to have kids that aren't your own. And then she leaves him, and she leaves him a single dad by himself with these three kids. You remember their names? God scatters, no love, not mine. And he loves them anyways. He takes care of them anyways. And then we talked about this last week, this crazy star story. And it's one of those stories that, to be honest with you, you don't talk about in children's Sunday school very much. In fact, we're going through the Gospel Project and our kids' stuff, and it is amazing curriculum. I'm so excited we're a part of that. Lifeway's putting it out, and it takes them through the Bible in three years. And we're halfway almost into that project. And a few months ago, 
they studied Hosea. And Janetta Holmes, if you know Janetta, she's our preschool director, and Landry Holmes have been in children's ministry and preschool for literally, well, I won't say how long because they would get mad at me, all right? But for a while. And she said, we have never taught that story before until we kind of were forced to going through this. You just don't talk about it because what do you do with this story? God says, go marry a prostitute. She's going to continue being a prostitute. And you've got to do it anyways. And you're going to have kids that aren't your own. And you give them these terrible names. God scatters, not loved, not mine. What do you do with that? And yet we know it's in Scripture because of some reason. God didn't just kind of place it there. It's like, here's a cool story. We'll throw this in for you. I believe that one of the reasons it's here is because outside of the story of Jesus life, death, and resurrection, that it is perhaps the second most beautiful picture of God's love for us. As we saw last week in Hosea chapter 3, God comes back to him and he says this, and we're going to put this up on the screen again this week. But he says to Isaiah, the Lord said, I mean to Isaiah, to Hosea, then the Lord said to Hosea, I love these first two words, go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. Even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So Hosea goes, it tells us in the next verse. And he buys back his wife for 15 pieces of silver and 5 bushels of barley to measure of wine. We talked about last week that he would have to go to a seedy part of town. To a guy that he wouldn't normally associate with. And he paid the price of a servant. Hosea gets his wife back and he brings Gomer home and then he lays down some conditions. And we're going to talk about this in a few minutes. He said, I said to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. That's probably a pretty good step, right? And during that time, you're not going to have sexual relations with anyone, not even with me. Here's what I want you to get. We saw this last week. And if we can go back to the first verse, Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. Those two words at the beginning are the essence of this concept of being pursued by God. Now, remember we said last week, and we've talked about this whole time, that Hosea doesn't wait for Gomer to repent or to come to her senses or to think about these kind of things. Hosea is to go, as God says, and love. To go and love. That we are Gomer in this picture and that God is continually, passionately pursuing us. And what is at the center of that is a word that we use all the time, but we don't fully understand, especially when it comes to the way God does it. That's the word love. And as I said, what we have to understand is that God's loyal love will hold us together even when it seems like our entire world is falling apart. And so here's the, the things that we're going to talk about today. Two things that I want to talk about with regard to God's love. And the first is this. That if we want to live the life God has called us to live, we must learn to receive God's loyal love. Receive His loyal love. Now, love has been on our minds for the last few days, right? Okay, maybe not yours, but there was a holiday on Friday. Some of you are like, I am done with that. We have moved on, all right? I did my one day of lovey stuff and it's over, right? You know how I knew Friday was Valentine's Day? Because after I dropped the boys off, I went to Publix to pick up a couple of things. And everybody going into that store was male. 
And they were all stopping at the first section when you walked in because that's where flowers and candy and all of that stuff was. And, you know, Friday was one of those days when romantic stuff gets said and we let Hallmark say things we could never think of on our own and we give those cards out. And, you know, we took Eli's birthday was last week. We took him out to eat on his on Thursday night as a part of that celebration. That was his birthday and did not even realize that we were walking into early Valentine's celebration central Right, and so their couples all out in the lobby, and they're looking at each other and the gaze into their eyes. And we walk in with our six kids, and like, be careful what you wish for. All right, <laughs> here we are. And so you know, we we have all that stuff kind of going on, and, and we focus on this concept of love. And our society has all these ideas about what it means. In fact, uh, I read this week about a researcher, and you may have heard some of these that ask some four to eight year olds what the word love means. This is what they said. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. (laughs) All right. Chrissy, age six, says that love is when you go out to eat and you give somebody most of your french fries without making you give them anything. Terry, age four, says love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Yeah, it's okay to say all. All right. Danny Seven said, love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before he gives it to him just to make sure it tastes okay. Oh, Noel, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and he wears it every day. Mayan, age four, says, love is when your puppy licks your face even after you've left him alone all day. Karen says, when you love somebody, she's seven, your eyelashes go up and down. And little stars come out of your eyes. Okay, maybe not. All right. That's our concept of love, though, right? It's this ooey-gooey feeling. And so we read about the love of God. We don't really have a basis to think about, well, what does that mean? When he says, go and love your wife, what does that mean? One little girl gave this answer, though. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for all the time. Even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. You see, love involves true love. involves sacrifice. It involves doing something for somebody else. And it isn't based on what they can give you or any inherent good quality in them. I read this week about the world's ugliest dog contest. Anybody ever seen anything about this? It's an amazing contest where they actually pick the ugliest dog in the world. And I thought, we're so close to lunchtime, let's take a look at some of those pictures. All right? And so here's, for instance, this is the winner in 2012. This is Mugly. Mugly. And Mugly was the winner in 2012, and he's got a few issues with facial hair. All right? Then you got Yoda. There's Yoda. You see his ears, that's why he's Yoda. Maybe the eyes a little bit too. Yoda is not a pretty dog, all right? And you've got, this is a Pigeon Forge native right here. With a Pigeon Forge name. This is Miss Ellie. Miss Ellie was the ugly dog winner in 2009. Now, here's the thing. She's a breed of dog that their skin and fur just naturally looks like that. She doesn't have any kind of 
anything going on. That's just how they look. Now, I will tell you, this is tragic news. Miss Ellie passed away in the last year. And they had a memorial service for Miss Ellie up in Pigeon Forge. And lots of people attended to commemorate the world's ugliest dog passing away. All right. Two more. Here's one of my, my personal favorites. This is Munchkin. And apparently when Munchkin, Munchkin has an issue with girth. And uh, when he walks, he snorts. Uh, just how it is. And here's the last one. This is the bad one. Elwood. <laughs> Got that mohawk going right down the middle, right? That tongue is not going back in that mouth. There is no way that is happening. Now, here's what I love about this, all right? I showed these earlier. This morning we were running through the run-through at like 8.15, and Diane's like, what are you doing with those dogs on the screen? She was very uncomfortable about this. Well, here's the thing that I love about this, all right? When they have this ugliest dog contest, they're not making fun of them. In fact, they're celebrating the ugliness of the dog. This is the mission statement of the world's ugliest dog contest. We are here to raise awareness for rescue pups by celebrating ugliness, butt teeth, asymmetry, and general decrepitude. That's one of my new favorite words right there, decrepitude, all right? General decrepitude. Now, here's what I, I really like about this is that the owners, I mean, you look at that dog, you're like, that is the face of a dog that only an owner could love, right? Well, here's the truth. The owners love these dogs. Even though they are not the ones that you put up the picture up on Facebook, and everybody goes, that's so cute, he's so cute, just looks so cute. They go, ugh, ugh. It's like, what do you say to him about, that? don't you love my baby? He's interesting, right? <laughs> it's never seen a dog like that before, all right? They love them in spite of their asymmetry and their ugliness and their general decrepitude. When God tells Hosea, go and love. What he's saying is, he says, this is to show how I love Israel. He's saying, there is nothing inherently good and no reason why you should go and love Gomer, but do it anyways. Here's the thing. The picture that God gives us in there is that we are Gomer. And when it comes to our lives, as much as we think we might be in the best looking dog contest, if we're honest with ourselves and the ugliness of the sin in our lives, we are all part of the ugly dog contest. And we suffer from ugliness and asymmetry and general decrepitude. You and me have decrepitude. God loves us anyways. He cares for us anyways. And it's based on His faithfulness. This love of His is not based on anything we do. It's not based on anything good in us. It's based on Him and His faithfulness to His Word and His covenant. Someone has said that this love of God, this understanding is that we need to understand that it is based on the consistent, ever-faithful, relentless Constantly pursuing lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, one-way love of God. He doesn't love you because of what you do. In fact, He loves you in spite of what you do. He doesn't love you because of who you are. In spite, He, or in fact, He loves you in spite of who you are. That is the loyal love of God. 
And Hosea chapter 3 verse 1 reminds us that he will consistently pursue us at all times. In the English language, we just have the word love. And we use it in a wide variety of ways. I mentioned Valentine's Day, and we talk about romantic love. We talk about love of family, brothers and sisters. We talk about love of stuff. I really love that, or I love this, or a TV show, or a movie. Or... But in the language of the Hebrew language, the Israelites' language, they had very specific words that gave different understandings of love. And the word used here when God says to Hosea, go and love, is the word that means a covenantal love. A love that loves in spite of who we are. And the picture of that comes in this crazy story back in Genesis chapter 15, where Abraham, one of the patriarchs of the Old Testament, has this covenant relationship with God. And God has told him, I'm going to give you a nation that is greater than the stars in the sky. They still don't have any kids. He's like, how am I going to have billions of kids when I don't have any kids? God says, it's going to happen, Abraham. Just give me time. Trust me. Abraham says, well, how will I know? What, what's a sign to me? And God does something that's just kind of crazy to us, but it would have made a lot of sense to Abraham. He says, go out and get a cow and some other livestock, and I want you to split them in half. You, you see, in their culture, when they were making a covenant with somebody else, a commitment with someone else, a contract with someone else, what they would do is they would take an animal and they would split it in half, and they would put it on opposite sides, and there would have been the blood trail and everything in the middle. Not a beautiful picture. And then they would have stood side by side together and they would have walked through the center of those animals. And the idea was that they're just saying to us, what we're saying is, we are committing ourselves to this agreement, whatever it may be, land agreement or something with a marriage or something with an understanding. We're committing ourselves to the agreement. And if we, either one of us, break this agreement with each other, may we become as the animals that are on either side of us. That's pretty serious stuff there, right? So God comes to Abraham and he says, get that and split the animals in half. Now, I love this picture. It says as soon as that happens, Abraham goes into a deep sleep. Can't get out of it. Starts to fear some things. And while Abraham is sleeping, God walks through the center of the animals alone. And the point to Abraham is this. I've made a covenant with you. I love you. And it is going to happen because it's based on my faithfulness and not yours. It doesn't matter. I am pursuing consistently you. For those of us that are believers in Jesus Christ, that are followers of his, it means that we can rest in the assurance of who God is. And we don't have to perform for him all the time. He's not looking at us and grading us each day and determining his love amount for us based on our grades. He loves us. When you look in the mirror, no matter what other people have told you about your worthlessness or whether you're good enough or whether it's right or how you look or whether this looks right or that looks wrong, no matter what is said to you by everybody else, you can look in the mirror and be assured in confidence of the love of God and who He is and that He has died for your sins in the person of His Son, Jesus. And that loyal love will carry you through even when it feels like everything in life has fallen apart. Here's what it also means for those of you that haven't yet given your life to the Lord and following Him. It means He is not done with you. He is pursuing you. He will continue to pursue you. 
There's some of you in this room, maybe you're a follower of Christ, maybe you're not, and you have been running, and you've been avoiding, and you come to church to kind of soothe that conscience, and sometimes you get here and you're like, I don't even know why I came, because now I don't feel good because of what I'm hearing. Just know this, God, especially if you're one of His followers, you're one of His children, He is not going to let you go. He loves you too much. He's not going to abandon you. He is pursuing you. Here's the second thing. Not only do we need to kind of grab on to his love, but we also need to learn to receive his discipline. That first part was the real fun part, all right? You need to learn to receive God's loving discipline. I was thinking this week about how much as a kid I did not like to do my homework. Anybody here really like to do homework? Don't put your hand up, please. All right. We don't want to see that. All right. Anybody, you remember when I was a kid growing up and you, you, you got done with school and you came home and you were ready to play? Your freedom, right? You felt like Mel Gibson and Braveheart, like when the school bell rang, freedom! Like you're so excited. And you get home and your mom and dad said, all right, what you got for homework? Oh, I don't, I don't, homework? I don't, I don't know what that is, mom. What is that? Here's what they didn't tell me growing up, is that when you graduate from school, you're not done with homework. Because then you have kids, and they have homework. And it is harder being a parent of kids with homework than it is being a kid with homework. Can I get an amen, parents? I turn into the nag machine. you got to get your homework done. Let's go. Let's get your homework done. Let's do this. Dad, I don't want to do my homework. I don't care whether you don't want to do your homework. Did anybody ask you if you wanted to do your homework? It is time to do your homework. Well, I don't want to do it. I just don't like doing it. Listen, do you, this is where I really kind of, you know, hypothetically, you start going, do you know how many times a day I do things that I don't want to do? Do you know how many times I just, I don't want to do that, but I still have to do it anyways? Because it's called having a job, or it's called being a parent, or it's called being a husband, it's called being a friend. There are many times in a day I do things, so I don't want to hear, I don't want to do it. Do you know how many times I wiped your, I'm just hypothetically <laughs> talking right here. All right. And inevitably, it's still, I don't want to do, I just, I didn't want to do. Or they sit there on one problem. None of my family's here today, they're all sick, so that's why I'm venting a little bit, all right? <laughs> They sit there and look at one problem for like 10 minutes. I, I didn't know what to do. Well, did you ask anybody? No. Let's go. All right. So then you start realizing there are consequences if you don't do the homework. Right? So you start small. Listen, we're going to take away. We're going to take away the Xbox for the next two hours. Well, I don't care. I'm not going to play anyways. Well, then we're going to a day, all right? Well, a week. We're taking it away for a week. And if you don't do it, all electronic. Let's see, my, or kids my kids' age don't have phones yet. A lot of my kids don't have phones yet. I know once you get to be a teenager, that's like the nuclear option, right? Your phone's gone, all right? But for our kids, it's just like the Xbox and TV. And so you start ramping it up because you, you got to do something. they got to do the homework. we got to get done this. We're not moving on tonight till this is done. My bedtime is continually going north hypothetically, all right? And so you say, that's what we're doing. Kids just sit there like, what are you doing to me? Just let me be. You're taking away my freedom. I just want to play. I don't want to do that. You're ruining my life. Aren't you glad we don't do that when God starts to discipline us? God, I I don't understand it. Why aren't you giving me everything I want? 
listen, you just back that truck up and you start dumping the stuff out I want. That'd be good. God's like, you can't handle it. You don't need it. We got to work some stuff out over here. We look at it and we think the Lego pieces aren't fitting together. And God's like, you've moved on past where it's already gone wrong. Let's get back a little bit and get it back together. Here's the truth. God cares more about my character than he cares about my comfort. And there are times in my life when I need discipline. There are times in the life of my children when they need discipline. Amen? Huh? They need discipline from me. Yeah. They're having their own little conversation over there, Miss Jones. <laughs> you coming up? <laughs> there are times when if I don't provide discipline as a parent, I'm not fulfilling my duty as a parent. Correct? You ever seen children, don't point please, that had no discipline in the home? And you knew it? And you just go, wow, they need something. Listen, being... A great parent doesn't mean letting your kid get away with whatever they want to. That's not being a good parent at all. Right? We have to be willing to do that. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, you you don't have to turn over there, but I, I just want you to hear this. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this interesting thing. It says, my son, this is talking to all of us. This is the writer of Hebrews. Do not take the Lord's discipline lightly. So first of all, notice that those two words go together. The Lord's discipline. Or faint when you're reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Now the truth is we don't like to hear that because we want to hear the Lord gives everything to the one he loves. But that's not what it says, is it? The Lord disciplines the one he loves. And punishes every son whom he receives. How many does he punish? Every. Endure it as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? And listen to this. If you're without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. God says, if you're not receiving the discipline of the Lord, then perhaps you are not one of the children of the Lord. God's basically saying that all of us have things and times in our lives when we have to be pulled back in order for him to do in us what he wants to do which means there may be times in your life when god i mean discipline may look like god holding back something from you it may mean taking away some comfort because he's got the long term in mind you know that's what i'm doing with with the kids when I say, listen, we got to do your homework because I know if they don't get their homework in the next day, I know it goes in the grade book, I know it affects their grades, and I know long-term it affects their grades, and it's just easier to go ahead and get it done. And that's the point, right? We just want to move on. And I don't enjoy it. I mean, I'm sitting there thinking, if I take the Xbox and the TV away from this kid for a week, it is going to be disastrous around this house. Right? I mean, I don't want to do that. And the Lord is thinking long-term with us. He didn't take pleasure in it, except in the fact He knows what it's going to bring about in our lives. Now, Hosea, Hosea sets down some disciplinary rules for Gomer. And the reason I believe this is in place is because God reminds us that with the 
unbelievable, loyal love that God has for us. There are expectations for us to live in light of that. Not because we have to or because it's, wrong, it's hard or discipline is just for discipline's sake, but because we are responding to the love of God who knows what's best for us down the road. We accept it and we receive it. And we finish, right? And here's the thing. God's loyal love loves us too much to let us get all that we want or stay where we are. He intends to change us into the person He has called us to be. But understanding that means that we have to be willing to sacrifice our desires and our wants to follow Him. You know what I've found in life? It's easy to be a part of a relationship where you know unconditional love is already there. They're going to love you no matter what. And Lord proved that to us, it tells us in Romans 5, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the question today is not whether God loves you at all or whether you're lovable. The truth is that has already been proclaimed. The question is, are you going to live a life receiving the discipline of God, trusting in His love, and living in fulfillment of that? Let's pray together.